Welcome back to the emdocs.net podcast. Today we finish up our series on success and failure with Rob Orman. Let's get back to the podcast and cover success. Let's do a complete 180. We've covered the failures, but what about success? Rob, anyone looks at what you've accomplished and they're going to be blown away. Taking a step back, you have reached tens of thousands in terms of education, improving their care. Thank you. <laughs> You're asking what about success? I mean, it's so wonderful to have a connection with so many people. And I have to say, I don't really see it on the macro level like that because I still do it. I mean, I still do it every day. You know, I run two podcasts and prepare for essentials. And so more of what I feel is a responsibility. I feel a big responsibility and I feel obligated to make sure that all of the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the research is really researched because people say what you say or people take what you say or maybe they say what you say and then apply it to a clinical situation. Or if you have an expert on your show and they say something that is you know, completely against what the guidelines say, it's like, well, I need to research that. I need to you know, present that, well, this is different than what is standardly done. And avoiding using the phrase standard of care. <laughs> Horrible. But like if someone's saying that it's kind of out there and their opinion is different, you know, you need to be really clear about that because there's real consequences to this stuff. And what you say, like, what about success? I don't know. I continually go through the process of doing this. I really don't feel like I've reached any destination. I mean, this is, I, I like what we're doing a lot of Matthew McConaughey here is <laughs> it's all commas. It's all process. And I'm still fully in the current of that process. So if the success is that I get to connect with a lot of different people and make their lives better, make patient care better. I mean, what a gift and what a privilege. Yeah, I've struggled with the same, how do you define success? Because we really don't have a concrete definition for this. And like you've mentioned, it's really going to come down to your own personal beliefs. Oh, so true. I did a whole one year of Grand Rounds was this question, right? How do you define success? Like, What's the yardstick to see if what you're doing measures up to success? The gut reaction to thinking about success is this external picture. It's this position, notoriety, or something that can be ascertained in your written bio. But that's kind of empty for a few reasons. One is that there's a lot of how all that turns out that's not in your control. Some of it is, but you know, I mean, it's like you make your own luck, but some of it, frankly, it's right time, right place, right connections. So success for me is not an external thing. And it's really not something anyone else could know. Like you said, all of those nice things, but that's not how I see it. So it's not anything someone could know unless I told them. Because for me, success is doing the things I want to do in the way they should be done rightly. So with stimulus and ER cast, yeah, I feel successful at that because I feel that those are exactly how I want them to be and they fit in with the ethos of my life. So yes, I feel successful with that. It's not number of downloads, it's not listeners, it's not getting invited X, Y, Z. Now, earlier in my life, it was the external things. But you know, when you get there or you get them, like empty calories, 
you know, it's never satisfying. It's never fulfilling. And it's just, oh, I need more like a hedonic treadmill that that's sometimes <laughs> called. And for the past 10 or 15 years, it's been much more internal. Professionally, 15 years ago, it was to pursue mastery of clinical emergency medicine. So as we've talked about, I practiced, read, tried to take a lesson out of each encounter. And also we were talking about the internal mentor, but I would try to mimic the practices of people who I thought were excellent at it one way or another. And usually actually that was how they talked to people. This is so creepy. I would <laughs> I would stand outside a room sometimes when a, one of the master clinicians was talking to somebody and just listen to how they explained X, Y, or Z. With the glass doors, it was really hard, but with curtains, it was easy. I say, ooh, yeah, I want, I want to do that. So, you know, if I was trying to be excellent, I was aligning with the mission. I was successful. I was fulfilled. It didn't go away. You know, that way of approaching things didn't, I, I still do that. You know, if I hear how somebody phrases a question or how somebody does, like presents information, like, oh, wow, it's, uh, I want to adopt that. But probably a decade or so ago, the trajectory was to fill the gaps and assuage the anxieties of clinicians through medical education. It was not about being well-known. I frankly had no idea that that would end up happening. It was about doing the thing that I thought was important and doing it the right way. And I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I'm sure it will. <laughs> but, <laughs> have you ever read, I think it was Walter Isaacson, Steve Jobs biography? I haven't been able to. That's good. I mean, it's thick. But in there, Steve Jobs talks about his grandfather, who was a carpenter, would make like a cabinet or a dresser. And even the back of it that no one else would see had beautiful craftsmanship. And it was just through and through. Even the stuff that people don't see, it should be well done. It should have equal attention. And that was how I saw and still see creating education. It shouldn't be just to educate it should be something that brings a smile to you or a smile to me. And even the parts that people don't see, they still kind of experience, but those are done well. And now my internal yardstick for professional success is three things, is to spark joy in the lives of others, is to facilitate awesomeness and to be present. I might not get there on all three of those things, but if my intent is there, then that's fulfilling and that success. I love that internal yardstick, man. What's been the biggest drive for you to succeed? Has there been an event or a person in particular that you can think has really pushed you? Oh my God, my parents totally pushed me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's no question about it. Let me take a step back. We get to this point of a very heightened position in society as clinicians or physicians or you know in healthcare. And we think, I made me, I made me. And you know what? We didn't make me. There are so many people that helped you and pushed you along the way. And we can this talk of me, mine, me, mine, me, mine. Like, you know what? It's become kind of hackneyed now, but the phrase, like, it takes a village. Like, there, yeah, there was a village. Definitely my parents. And as far as I can remember, I've always had drive. I've been very goal-directed. And it's actually stressed me out a lot, even in high school. And all the way through med school, having that sort of drive and perfectionism and you know, feeling pushed both from the inside and the outside. And even in residency, I, I still felt that stress. But I think 
that what really drives me, and when I think back to even high school and taking an inventory of everything that's played out since then, the main drive is really curiosity. Yesterday, I was putting together a COVID podcast and I've done, I don't know, like 20 or 30 of these since COVID began. It's always updates. I think, oh yeah, it's kind of old news and all this stuff. But if something really piques my interest that I just can't not do it. And I just sit down there at the computer and type and research. It's like, oh my God, this is so fun. This is so cool. So yeah, it's still curiosity. I mean, that's going to sound totally nerdy, right? But I love learning new things. And if I'm in a conversation with someone, and I mean, you know this, we've spoken for hours on non-medical stuff. I want to know everything about that person, right? Like before with this even gone, I was asking you stuff in the Air Force and clinically. And I want to know like what drives people, they're interested in, little details of their life. And my family gives me grief about this. Like I even do this at <laughs> restaurants and at grocery stores, or or if I'm talking to somebody who, you know, I'm having to schedule an appointment, I, st I still do it then. I don't know where that curiosity comes from, but I've had it as long as I can remember. It's definitely irritated people in my family. I can remember <laughs> that as well. So that was a drive when I started ERCast. And it actually started just talking to consultants and what were their practices? You know, what can a urologist teach us about hematuria or a general surgeon teach us about retrieving rectal foreign bodies? And you know, when I started talking to him, it was a like, holy cow, I can't believe there's a stuff I never thought of. And it's, it's out there. And I mean, that's kind of still my drive with that show. And with stimulus, it's the same thing. You know, it's a whole different perspective, but I get to talk to people with these incredible experiences or yeah, even more so like depth of knowledge in areas and strategies on how to just, you know, just slay it at work and life and ways to improve thinking and structure life and bring more joy. I mean, I, I don't know, like who doesn't want to dive deeper into that? So yes, curiosity is it. That's awesome. And you never have to apologize about being a nerd to me. Those <laughs> who know me and who work around me know I'm a huge nerd. And I think anyone who listens to you on ERCast or Stimulus can really sense that drive to know more and dive deeper to not only enhance your own practice, but those around you. Now, you've had a lot of success. How do you handle success and how do you keep it from getting to your head? Some of it you've already mentioned about, you know, it takes a village. I think it has to come down to a core question. Who is this about? If what you're doing is about you and your own accolades or fame, then the only place it will go is to your head. I heard somebody who made this really cool product and then made money afterwards said, look, nobody who does anything cool started out doing it because they wanted to make a lot of money. And if what you're doing is about others, improving the lives of others, considering the well-being of others, and you do that in your actions, then it doesn't go to your head because it's not about you. And I would like to say that I'm always in that state That'd be a total lie. Right? I mean, of course, there's moments of ego and there's self-congratulation. And really, I just try to be aware of those moments and acknowledge them. And then just have, you know, just have a little smile. That's where my mind goes. And then get back to the real work, which is not about making my head bigger. It's about really the lives of the listeners. Did you have a mentor and how did he or she help you succeed? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, all of the mentors I've had in my life, there have been a lot of mentors and I still have mentors, but not in a formal way. 
When I was 16, I was mentored by a family friend who, he taught me how to drive. He taught me physical fitness. He taught me about self-confidence, which I was really lacking at the time. And his name is Lenny Weinglass. He was actually depicted in the movie Diner by Mickey Rourke as the character of Boogie. His nickname is Boogie. And he was a super successful businessman, but he took time several days each week to hang out with me. And we would go lift weights, we'd go running, and he was a real role model for me. And I would say he sort of injected self-confidence. My karate instructor, when I was growing up, definitely mentored me. I don't know, listeners, if you've taken the martial arts, but especially back a while ago, it wasn't always unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> he did not cut me any slack. Let's just say there was no participation trophy. So to get from point A to point B, I had to do it or wouldn't get done. Now, point A to point B can involve something really straightforward, like breaking boards or taking a karate test or doing something that was challenging and wasn't going to get done unless you did it. And I got knocked down figuratively and literally many, many times. And you could call it tough love, but I think it was really transformative. And not think, it definitely was. And in med school, I had a mentor named Ken Walker, who I've impersonated many times on many podcasts. His voice sounds like this. And sometimes he would call you a bovine fool. And he was this massive presence at Emory Med School. And it's interesting, he made a point of having a personal connection with every medical student, whether they wanted it or not. And most of them didn't <laughs> because he was an intimidating guy, he was a little bit of a weird guy. But when you got to know him, he was very kind and he didn't have children of his own. He thought of the med students as his kids. But and, you know, interpersonally, he was kind of like this big intimidating figure, but he was, you know, he was interested in you. But he demanded not only clinical excellence, kind of the Steve Jobs grandfather model of medicine, but also compassion for all patients, even those, especially those you might find reprehensible outside the hospital. And as a physician, you know, you're in a much different role in the hospital than you are outside. I mean, I remember there was a, this story, maybe it's an apocryphal tale. Actually, it's not apocryphal because he told me it was true that one of his residents who was going to be a cardiology fellow in a couple months called a patient an a-hole. So they were in morning round. You could t he could tell that the guy just had disdain, disdain for the patient. And he said, Dr. Smith, why don't you tell me how you really feel about this patient? And Dr. Smith said, well, Dr. Walker, I think this patient, frankly, is an a-hole. And he said, oh, do you now? Oh, do you now? Well, if that's the case, then I am going to call Columbia University. I don't remember where the fellowship was. I'm going to call Columbia University and have them rescind your cardiology fellowship because I do not want someone like you representing someone like me from Emory University School of Medicine, nor do I want you caring for patients in that function. And he storms out of the room. He storms out of the room. And he actually didn't end up calling them. And, the, you know, the guy eventually, you know, apologized and all this. I said, why would you do that. What would you do? <laughs> and he said, you know, Rob, sometimes people come to this job with compassion and love. And sometimes it must be forced upon them. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, and, and in the end, I would say, like, all of those were external mentors, but both of my parents were just, I mean, incredible mentors. I mean, those, if all of these other guys were present, they were, you know, maybe 5%. My parents were 95% of it all. I mean, they weren't specifically in that mentor role, but you know what they really showed me was unconditional love and what that looked like and sounded like. I definitely have to agree. Without my parents, I would be nowhere near where I am today. If you had one minute, what do you want to tell everyone about success and failure? I would say that success isn't what society would lead you to believe. The external trappings, the wealth, the titles, not success in my mind. Those are accomplishments. Accomplishments and awards are cool, fun. It's a little dose of dopamine. Maybe get a little extra serotonin for a while. But it is where is your internal compass pointing? If it can align the intention of your actions, if you can align the intention of your actions with your internal compass, then you're a success. And failure, failure is perhaps the greatest teacher. But let's call it what is. It feels like a gut punch when you fail. You don't have to feel like you're some kind of exalted being when you fail. You can't, don't have to feel that gut punch. Acknowledging that, giving yourself permission to feel that way, I think is the path to accepting the failure rather than fighting against it. It allows you to move on and allows you to grow. Rob, phenomenal stuff. I always learn so much when speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast and enlightening our listeners. Oh, Britt, it is such a treat. Thank you for having me. And let me say this. I, it always sounds weird at the end of podcasts when people kind of express admiration for what the other person is doing. But what you guys are doing at EM Docs and not the Facebook group, but <laughs> the website <laughs> is such a great service to the emergency medicine community. I mean, I get something in my email, I think every day about here's how to think about this. Here's a, it's just like this kernel of knowledge and you are just improving the foundation of excellence in emergency medicine. And I'm super appreciative of that. So it's really quite an honor to be part of your program. Thank you, Rob. All right, Britt, take care my friend. Thanks for joining us on the emdocs.net podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone.